so we began a series last week called Monsters, and we're talking about monsters that attack our heart. And the, the reason that it's so important that we talk about these monsters is from the proverb writer. He says, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. And it's so important, but it's one of those things that as a, a young person, we're not really taught how to guard our heart, how to protect it. And so over the next um, four weeks, we're going to talk about four different monsters that if you allow them to, will wreak havoc on your heart and will make your relationships with other people extremely difficult if you do not guard your heart against these monsters. So a few weeks ago, um, Caleb, my youngest son, was struggling getting up in the morning on a Saturday. And we had a 9 a.m. baseball practice. And he's struggling to get up, and he's grumpy and tired because we had a busy and long week. And he says, no, Dad, I don't want to go. I want to I wanna stay here. I want to watch cartoons, and I just want to veg out and, and be lazy. And <laughs> there was part of me as a dad just thinking, all right, I'm not the head coach this year. It's probably not that big of a deal. We can miss a day. But we're trying to teach all these values of being a part of a team. And if you commit to something, keeping your word, and if you say you're going to do something, that you're going to do it. And so I said, no, you know what? Um, actually, I called my wife, and she was the voice of reason and said, no, you need to go. <laughs> but I said, Caleb, you got to get ready. We're going to go to practice. And so he's kind of fumbling around, and I said, hey, if you'll give me, or if you'll get ready, and if you'll work really hard at practice, maybe we can get a treat when we're done. And he paused for a second, and his face lit up, and he said, can we get a chocolate shake? Because that's kind of like our go-to, me and Caleb, we like Brahms chocolate shakes. And I said, okay, we'll get a chocolate shake after we get done. And so he gets ready, and we go to practice, and he works really hard, and we get done, and he gets in the car, and he goes, Dad, did I do a good job? I said, Caleb, you did a great job. I'm, I'm proud of you. He goes, can we go get our chocolate shake? And I said, yes. And so we started heading towards Brahms, and it occurred to me, I forgot my wallet. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, well, here's what we'll do. It's almost lunchtime now. We'll go home. We'll eat lunch. Then we'll go get our chocolate shakes. We go home and I fix lunch for all the kids. Um, it was gourmet sandwiches. And we eat lunch. And then you know how the day goes. And one thing leads to another. And then all of a sudden it's five o'clock. And your other son has practice. And so you go to practice and then you get home at 7.30 and sitting down to watch TV for a little bit. I mean, prepare for a sermon the next day. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's 9 o'clock. And kids have had baths. And Caleb comes in and he goes, Dad, we're going to get my chocolate shake. Oh, man. Uh, Caleb... I'm sorry, buddy. I forgot all about 
your ice cream. And you know you don't give a five-year-old ice cream at nine o'clock at night and expect him to go to bed. And so I said, okay, I owe you ice cream. I owe you. And ultimately, that's what guilt says. Guilt comes about because I perceive that my actions and my words don't match up. And because they don't match up, I feel guilty about it. And now I owe you something. Guilt, along with all the other monsters we're going to talk about, creates this debt-to-debtor relationship where now we are in debt to someone. Or maybe even later on, someone else is indebted to us. And so ultimately, the message that guilt says is, I owe you. In my mind, I perceive that I have done something wrong. And my actions and my words don't match up. And so now I owe you something. I need to make things right as much as I can. You see, guilt, most of the time, we talk about as a negative emotion. It's negative, and we need to do whatever we can to take this guilt that we feel and get it off of us so that we can be free from it. And guilt is bad in a lot of circumstances. When it's carried around for years and years and years, when it's something that you've confessed or you've gotten off your chest and you've made things right, but you still carry the burden that I owe someone. And so guilt can be a negative thing. But guilt is also a really good thing. Because guilt is this trigger that says my actions and my words do not match up. And that ultimately I've created this void in our relationship where I owe someone because I have not done what I said I would do the way that I said I would do it. And it creates this debt-to-debtor relationship. It's the reason when you went to the movies as a teenager and you told your mom and dad you were going to go see Benji but you snuck out and went and saw a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's the reason when you got the test grade back and you had cheated on the test and you got one of the highest grades in the class and you felt guilty about it because everyone else put in the work and you didn't. Or your spouse goes out of town And you go back to that website that you said you would never go back to again. And ultimately, we have this mindset that I have done something that I shouldn't, that would hurt you. And now I owe you. I need to do whatever I can to make it right. But somewhere along the way, we got the wrong idea about confession. Because the way that you attack the monster of guilt is through confession. But somehow, some way, we got the idea that 
confession was about guilt reduction. That if I do something wrong and I confess it, then I will feel better about myself. This weight will be lifted off of me. But if you look through the New Testament, especially at Jesus' words, confession was never really about guilt reduction. Confession was about life change. Because genuine confession leads to genuine change. That if we confess something, the idea is that we're not going to do it again. And so many times what ends up happening is we make these promises, we make these confessions, and then we find ourselves right back in the same place doing the same thing again. How many times have we said, God, I'm sorry, I'm a changed man, I'm a changed woman, it's never going to happen again. I'm never going to go there, I'm never going to visit that place, I'm never going to talk to them that way again. And we find ourselves right back in the same place. But the truth about confession, biblical confession, is genuine confession leads to genuine change. And that's because genuine confession leads to repentance and reconciliation. It's about making things right with the people that we have hurt. See, repentance is this idea of going in one direction, realizing the wrong or the error of our way, and turning and going in another direction. In the illustrious words of the theologian and philosopher Winnie the Pooh, he says, I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. It's this idea that I'm going one direction and I realize that this is not right. The way that I've talked to this person, the way that I've treated this person, the way that I've yelled at my children before I got ready to do the Lord's Supper. Great illustration. Thank you, Mark. I needed that. Now I don't have to tell the personal one. And now I'm going to go in a different direction. But it's not just simply about turning and going in a new way. It's about making things right with the people that were left behind. Because here's the truth. Your sin, my sin, affects more than just me. What you do, the way that you treat other people, the way that you interact with other people matters. And it affects more people than just you. And if we don't deal with the monster of guilt, what happens over time is we get really used to ignoring it and pretending it's not there. It's that inclination that I've done something wrong, but I'm going to just set it aside and not worry about it. And what happens is the next time, it becomes easier to do. And we play this little confession game. God, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. I promise from this point on, I'm a changed man. 
And then we find ourselves back there in the same place again, doing the same thing we promised we would never do. And right back to God, God, I'm sorry. And every time we do it, the guilt gets a little bit lighter. It becomes a little easier to ignore and to set aside until all of a sudden it no longer bothers us. And as that monster attacks your heart, as that monster begins to take aim inside, your compass of what's right and what's wrong starts to move in different directions. There was a man, a wee little man in the Bible. His name was Zacchaeus. And if you don't know the story of Zacchaeus, if you grew up in church, you probably know the song and could sing it. But if you didn't grow up in church, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And what that means is he was despised by all the people that were around him. Because these tax collectors got their position and got their prominence because as Rome was beginning to take over an area, they would look around and they would say to people, why don't you come and be a part of the empire? And you collect taxes for Caesar. And so they were put into these prominent roles. And some historians believe that during the time of Jesus, Jews were taxed somewhere between 60 and 70% of their total income. And so these tax collectors were put in place by Rome, and they were seen as traitors by their fellow Jews, as sellouts. And so Rome would take about 40 to 50% of people's income. And the tax collectors were permitted to take whatever else they wanted on top of what Rome wanted. And so you could come up to people with a boat coming into the dock with fish, and you can say, hey, we have 200 fish, and you could say 100 goes to Caesar, and another 50 goes to me. You're left with the other 50. That's how the taxes worked. And so these tax collectors were seen as sellouts, as traitors, people that had gone against their country. And Zacchaeus is this tax collector, and people want nothing to do with him. And I want you to listen as we pick up in this story, starting in verse 5 of chapter 19 in Luke. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down. And received him joyfully. So Jesus comes into Jericho and he invites himself to be a guest of Zacchaeus. And then in verse 7, it says this When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So in this story, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. That's a, I just said the wrong thing. Coming into Jericho, excuse me. And as he's coming into Jericho, he has just healed a blind beggar. 
And so the crowds are gathering, and people are watching, and people are listening, and there's all these people gathering around Jesus. And then Jesus calls Zacchaeus. And when he calls Zacchaeus, everyone who's around, listen one more time, when they saw it, they all grumbled. Who is they? They is the people that he has wronged. They is the people that he is oppressed with his taxes. They are the people who see Zacchaeus as a traitor. They are the ones who don't have as much food on their table because of him. They are the ones that have been hurt by Zacchaeus. And they are grumbling. They all grumbled. Because they know who Zacchaeus is and they know he's been taking their hard-earned money and taking food off of their table. And so verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up. Now, Now remember the setting. All of these people surrounding. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone anything... I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. He, he says, Here in the middle of everything that's gone wrong, everything that I've done, I am going to make things right. Can you imagine if Zacchaeus played our little confession game with Jesus? Jesus, thank you, thank you so much for picking me. I'm, I'm, man, I'm so glad we're going to get to go to my house and stuff. But first, before we do anything else, I need to tell you I'm sorry. I, I've been wrong. I've taken these taxes. I shouldn't have done that. And, and so, but, but from now on, we're good. It's you and me. So now, let's go to my house. Um, you, you've got to see it. It's amazing. It's, it's, we've just remodeled the kitchen, and there's some upgrades, and we got a new um, velvet couch in the family room, and the master suite is amazing. And best of all, tonight... We're having kosher hot dogs wrapped in bacon with gluten-free buns. So let's go. Wait. Wait. Let's go. No, Zacchaeus. Wait. What about them? Them? Yes, Zacchaeus, them. The, the people that your taxes have been oppressing, the, the people whose money has bought you all this stuff, the people that you've done wrong to, what about them? them oh, them. Yeah, I gotta tell you, kind of because of our past, they don't like me a whole lot. And besides, they're not quite on my economic level, if you know what I mean. So, but, but we're good, right? I said, I'm sorry, I'm a changed man, it's going to be different, so let, let's go. No, Zacchaeus, you don't get it. Sit down, Zacchaeus. 
So there was this time, and, and I know you weren't there for this, but maybe, maybe you'll, you'll, you've heard about it. There were these people, and they came up to me, and I was standing on a mountainside, and I began to teach them. And as I got into the middle of my sermon, I said, if you are going to offer a gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, first, leave your gift at the altar, go and make things right, reconcile things with your brother, then come back and offer your gift. In other words, Zacchaeus, if you want me to stay at your house, then you have to make things right with them. Make things right? Yes, Zacchaeus. You have to make things right with them. Because if you want to be right with me, you've got to make things right with them. Because if you're going to follow me, you're going to represent me to them. But Jesus, if I make things right, that means I might have to give back everything I have. I might lose my house. My wife might leave me. I might not be able to put food on the table. Zacchaeus, I understand, but you need to know this. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. Everything? I mean, I thought we could just start from like right now. And, and start over. You know, I'm sorry and I won't do this anymore. I, I thought you've forgiven me. Zacchaeus, you have to make things right with them. I wonder how that scene might have played out. I wonder how Jesus would have responded to the one who was willing to leave those relationships trampled and broken and not right. But, but you don't understand. If I confess, if everyone knew what I've done, they may never speak to me again. If I come clean and everyone finds out, I could lose my spouse or my kids might not talk to me. Listen. The confession was never about just reducing your guilt. It was always about leading to life change. And the longer we leave it inside, the longer we refuse to own up to it, the more difficult it will become to battle the monster of guilt.
And I just wonder this morning, how many of us have relationships that are broken and fractured that we've never tried to make right? How many of us have relationships that are fractured because of our sin, because of an addiction, or because of the lies, or because of the way we've handled a situation? How many of us carry this guilt with us day in and day out, and the longer you live with it, the easier it becomes to deal with, the easier it becomes to ignore? And see, here's the danger with all of these monsters is we immediately allow our mind to jump to someone else who needs to hear it. And my guess is this morning, every single one of us have a name, a face, a person that pops into our mind a person that we could reach out and try to reconcile things with. And in that reconciliation process, what you are saying, you're never saying, I'm going to take it back. I'm going to make things right. You're simply making things right as much as you possibly can because no matter what, you cannot hit rewind and do it again. You can't go back to the way things were and have it perfectly. But what you can do, what Zacchaeus tries to do, is say from this point forward, I'm going to do everything in my power moving forward to not do this as I did before. Because genuine confession leads to genuine change. See, you and I, as ministers of reconciliation, one of the things Paul says is we are Christ ambassadors. And what that means is you and I represent him to the rest of the world. And the way that he reconciled things with you and your sin by not holding it against you We are to reconcile the world to Christ, but also to one another. That we make things right as much as we can. See, if you leave this monster alone, I can promise you, over time, your heart will slowly die beneath the weight and the burden of the guilt. And it won't die because the guilt is so heavy. It will die because you've learned to ignore it. Father, today, we pray that you would challenge us, that you would confront us, that you would help us to see where our relationships struggle. You would help us to see the guilt that we feel as a good thing and something that we don't ignore. Father, we pray 
that we would be people who represent you in this world as Christ has loved and forgiven us, that we would be people of love and forgiveness as well. And Father, where we have done wrong, may we own it. May we ask for forgiveness from those we have wronged. And Father, may we do everything to reconcile those relationships. Father, we love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord.